0: You are listening to the Tom Eliff podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. The topic of the message, what kind of faith is saving faith? That's central to Christianity, isn't it? Do you have the kind of faith which is saving faith? faith. If you don't, then all is lost. And so the Apostle Paul deals with that in these verses, which we're going to be looking at this morning and next Sunday morning. What kind of faith is saving faith? And so, if you will, please read along with me aloud as we begin reading with verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God who giveth life to the dead and calleth those things which are not as though they were, who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead." who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before thee with hearts of praise and adoration. How grateful we are that you have provided so great a salvation and made it available to all who believe. Now, Father, our prayer is that in the moments that we spend together with your word open before us, that our hearts would be touched and changed, our lives challenged. Father, we pray that the simplicity of the gospel would break through so that we would see it is by faith that we appropriate your grace unto salvation. Lord, there are many here who are struggling with what it takes to become a Christian And Father, I pray that you would show us how important it is to peel back the veneer, the outer facade of actions and activity and religious sophistication so that you by your Spirit and through your your Word might look deep within our hearts to see this morning if we have the kind of faith that is saving faith. So speak to us by your Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll open your Bible again, if you will, please. Romans chapter 4 is the text for this morning, verses 16 through 25. What kind of faith is saving faith? What kind of faith is saving faith? Do you have it? The kind of faith that is saving faith. The Apostle Paul, in the early chapters of the book of Romans, has explained beyond any shadow of doubt that all men are sinners. But close on the heels of that explanation, he says, we have a God who is a righteous God. And just as we conclude that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we can also know beyond any shadow of doubt that our righteous God has provided a way for all to be saved, to be delivered from the power, from the penalty, from the dominion of sin over their lives. God wouldn't be a righteous God if he made all sinners but said, no, all can't be saved. God has provided a way for all to be saved. But it's not the way that most people think about when they think about salvation. It's not the way of works. It's not the way of religion. It's not the way of living a good life. It is the way of faith. And the apostle Paul, just as clearly as he has dealt with the issue of sin, has dealt with this second great doctrine and that is the doctrine of justification by faith. That word justification means declared to be in right standing. And the apostle Paul has explained clearly that a man comes to the position where he is declared in right standing with God simply because. We have a God of grace and mercy who has made it possible for us to be justified by faith. Now the apostle Paul looks into the minds of his Jewish audience and he knows that this might seem confusing because for so long they had been bound up in the law. For so long they had thought, you know, if I just keep the law, if I do all the religious things I am supposed to do, well then I'll spend my eternity with God. And so, Paul says, I want you to know it's not by the works of the law, but it's by faith. And if you don't believe that, says Paul, let me use as an example Abraham, the father of the faith. We sing a little chorus sometimes, Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, that is, if you've trusted in Jesus, so let's just Praise the Lord. And so he says, I want to show you Father Abraham. For you see, Abraham was justified by faith. Not by works, but he was justified by faith. And in Abraham's life, we are going to see the kind of faith that is saving faith. The scripture says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. We read about the fact that faith is imputed. That word imputed means faith is credited to, towards someone. Someone is counted as having faith or counted as having righteousness by faith. And so he uses Abraham as an example. Let me ask you a question. Do you have the kind of faith that is saving faith? How do you know? What does saving faith feel like? How much faith does it take to be saved anyway? How do you measure faith? Do you measure it in length or in width or in volume? How do you measure how much faith it takes to get saved? If somebody just nailed you to the wall and said, look, we're going to examine your faith, do you have the kind of faith that is saving faith? How do you know if you have the kind of faith that is saving faith? What does the kind of faith that is saving faith say? when that person decides to trust in Jesus? How do you know what to say? Have you said the right words? How hard do you have to try to live the right kind of life if you have the kind of faith that is saving faith? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to answer those questions as we study verses 16 through 25. What kind of faith is saving faith? Now, I think he says first of all here that your faith is saving faith if it has the Lord God alone as its object. Let me say it again. Your faith is saving faith if it has the Lord God alone as its object. In other words, we have to strip away religion. It's not faith that trusts in religion. It's not faith if it trusts in works. Well, I'm trusting in God and my good works. It's not saving faith if it trusts in some kind of ritual. It is not saving faith that trust in what your parents say about your conversion. I talked to a lady one time who said, you know, I went through a serious period of doubt, wondering whether I was a Christian, but I would always call up my mother and my mother said, oh, you're saved. Don't question that. I know you're saved. I remember when it happened and you cried and I know you are saved. Saving faith is not faith in what your mother says. Saving faith is not faith in what your father says. Saving faith is not faith in what some preacher says. Saving faith is not faith in what your church has done. Saving faith is not faith in some kind of a a ritual or a sentence. Have you ever wondered if you said the right sentence? You know, sometimes people come to revival services and they'll hear a preacher say something like this. If you've never gotten on your knees and said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, come into my heart and save me, then you're going to spend your eternity in a devil's hell. And there are people out there who said, you know, I don't remember if I got on my knees. You know, I don't remember if I said, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Come into my life and save me. I don't remember what I said. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Well, friend, let me tell you something. If there was some secret key sentence, it wouldn't be a secret. God would have put it in the scripture. Your faith is not saving faith if you put it in some kind of a formula. It's not saving faith if you say, well, here's what I did. You know, I was in a service and, and uh, I heard somebody say something like this. If you're not sure you're saved, come down here and just ask God into your life to make sure. Now, I want to tell you something. That will throw you upon a, a spiritual and emotional sea of tumult. It will not solve your problem to say, well, just in case I'm not saved, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. That will not solve your problem. I tell you what it will do. It will cast you into despair because you'll go out feeling about as lost as you came in, generally and uh, then you'll say well what else is there to say i've i've said jesus i'm not sure i'm saved coming into my life to be saved you've got to know that you're lost that's why the apostle paul begins with the fact that all have sinned if you're not sure whether you're saved what you ought to pray is this god show me where i am with you if I discover by the conviction of your Holy Spirit that I am a lost and undone sinner headed to hell, then I will confess Jesus as my Savior. I will trust Him as Lord of my life. I may discover that these perplexities in my mind are caused as your Holy Spirit is working, working on me as a believer in Jesus. And there may be some other, other issue I need to resolve. But just saying, well, just in case I'm not saved, I'm going to go down there, I'm going to say it one more time and then say to the counselor, you know, I've prayed this prayer a lot of times. You know, Jesus, if I'm not saved, I I just want you to come into my heart. That won't solve your problem. And so saving faith is not saying I've said the right words. Saving faith is not saying I go to the right church. Saving faith is not saying, well, I've done the right things. Saving faith is not saying, well, I'm going to heaven because mama says I'm going to heaven. Daddy says I'm going to heaven. My church has my name on the roll and everybody on the roll of that church is going to heaven. Let me tell you something, folks. I know a lot more Baptists than I do Christians. What kind of faith is saving faith? It is, first of all, faith which has its object in the Lord God alone. Just the Lord God. Now, let's look and see if that's what the Scripture says. Because if it doesn't say that, then I shouldn't say it. Look with me at verse 16. Therefore, he says, and he is referencing all that he has spoken about previously. It, now, you see that in the, a little italicized. This is an assumed in the Greek, it, that means salvation. It is of faith that it might be by grace. And let me tell you something. If your salvation comes by any other means than by faith, it is not a kind of salvation which illustrates the grace of God. If you have to work for it, then you've made God a debtor. That's what he says in the first few verses of Romans 4. You've made God a debtor. And so you don't see the grace of God in that. You don't see the mercy of God in that. You just see God giving you what he owes you. But the Scripture says it is by faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. In other words, all of those who will trust in Jesus, the seed of Abraham, not to that only which is of the law. In other words, he's saying not just to the Jews who are bloodline descendants of Abraham, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. You are a child of Abraham, he is saying, if you have the same kind of faith Abraham had to also, also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now, he is referring here, when he says, as it is written, he is referring to the fact that God made a promise and then a covenant with Abraham. You find a promise, for instance, in Genesis chapter 12, when God says, Abraham, if you'll leave Ur of the Chaldees, if you'll go to the land which I'll show you, why, you will be blessed and out of you will come a blessing to all of the nations of the world. And then in Genesis chapter 15, we find God literally making a covenant with Abraham. And there God says, a descendant of yours will bless all of the nations of this earth. We find this reaffirmed again in Genesis 17. And so the Bible says, as it is written about Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations before him. Now who is the him here? The hymn is God. Before God, we might read, whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. That word gives life, you may have the word quickens there, the word in the original language, "zoa." We get our word zoology, the study of living things. He gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. Look at verse 24. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed or credited, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, what I am trying to express this morning as we look at the Scripture is that saving faith is faith which has as its object, its target, the Lord God alone. Not God in some works, not God in some religion, not God in some human righteousness, not God in someone else's opinion of our salvation, but it is saving faith if it rests in God alone. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham got to a point where he knew that if God didn't do it, it would not be done. And that's why the scripture says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. How much faith does it take to save somebody? Do you think that uh, is an issue with God? Do you find any place in the Bible where God says it takes this much faith in order to get saved? Do you know what God is interested in? He is not interested in the amount of your faith. He is interested in the object of your faith. You see, your salvation doesn't depend how much on how much faith you have in God. It depends upon the God in whom you have your faith. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. I'm standing up here on this platform, and whether this platform holds me up has nothing to do with my faith in it. I might have a little bit of faith and think that I'm just gonna fall through any moment, or I might have a lot of faith and jump up and down on this thing, But whether I fall through is not based on how much faith I have, but on what this is constructed of, the object of my faith. Let me give you another illustration. I I read one time of a man who moved from down in the south where the weather was always balmy up to one of those frozen regions in the northern part of the United States. And uh, might have been here today, as a matter of fact. At any rate, um, he wanted to go from his small town to another town that was on the other side of a lake. And because of the heavy snow, the road around that lake was closed off. And the people in his town said, well, that's easy. All winter long, we just walk right straight across the lake to that other town. And this guy just shuddered. <laughs> he thought, walk on water? I mean, I know it's frozen, but you mean walk across that lake? And they said, sure, everybody does it. Just walk across that lake. There's the town over there. It'll save you a lot of time and you can just do it. Well, he went down there to the edge of that lake and he thought, my, I've never done this before. I haven't ice-skated, I haven't done anything. I mean, this is a big old lake. I, what if I got out in the middle and, the, and it wasn't frozen? I mean, what if it wasn't very thick this size? And so he began to creep out across this lake. And then when he got out to the middle of it and he was just, you know, a mile from either shore, he, he got out on his hands and knees. He thought, that'll help a little bit. At least he could be praying as he went under. And, uh, I mean, he was, he was going across, the ice and sure enough, just as he suspicioned, the ice began to rumble. And he thought, here it goes, it's going to crack open. I'm going to fall through. And he looked over to his right, and the reason the ice was rumbling is because a guy was driving a truckload of coal right across the lake, and here he was. You see, the amount of faith you have is not the issue with God. It is the object of your faith that counts. And I want to ask you a question. In whom are you resting for your salvation? The certainty you have in your heart this morning that you are saved, from whom does it come? Does it become because God by His Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you've put your trust alone in Him, Him who raised up Jesus from the dead, Him who sent Jesus so that His death might pay for our sins? Are you putting your trust solely in Him to save you? Are you saying, well, I'm saved because my name is over here or I wrote it down here in the back of my Bible or I went to this meeting or I go to this church or I'm sure trying to live a good life or my parents say I'm saved? It must be the Lord God alone who is the object of your salvation if you're to have saving faith. Now let's look at a second observation the Apostle Paul makes. Saving faith, saving faith has the Word of God as its authority. It has the Lord God as as its object. It has the Word of God as its authority. Now notice what the Scripture says in verse 18. Abraham against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. He's referring here to a passage that you can find right in the Scripture. So shall thy seed be. And you can read back in Genesis 15. Now, this was a remarkable thing because God had come to Abraham and said, Abraham, you and Sarah, your wife, are going to have a child. And through that child, I'm going to bless all the nations of this world. And your seed will be a blessing to all the earth and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. Now, as the years passed, the time came when Abraham was 100, almost 100 years of age and Sarah was a little over 90. And Abraham know, knew what happens to your body when you, when you get older and he knew that, that the time for, for, for being the father of a child had passed and here was Sarah. And she was over 90 and he knew that the womb was dead, so to speak, the scripture says. His body was as good as dead and the womb was barren and dead. But God had said, this is what's going to happen. You are going to be the father and the mother of a child through whom I'll bless all the nations. Now Sarah at one time laughed. She says, how can that be? How can that be? And God said, with men, You know, this might be impossible. With me, this is easy. All things are possible. Nothing is too hard for me. And by the way, he said, Sarah, just as a reminder that you laughed, I want you to call him Isaac when he's born. And that means laughter. Just to remind you that you can laugh at me if you want, but my word is the ultimate authority. Saving grace, saving faith rather, is that which has the Lord God as its object and the Word of God as its authority. Romans 10 verse 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, hearing by the Word which God speaks to us. Now you're going to have to make a decision whether you believe what man says or whether you're going to believe what God says. Let me give you an example. Man says salvation comes by works. I mean, that just makes sense. God says, no it doesn't, in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Which is the authority in your life? Man says a person can be saved by living a good life, a righteous life. God's Word says all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, which do you believe? Man says, well, there are some people better in this world than others. They have, they have, you know, they're just better off. God's Word says, no, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. Now you decide, is God's Word the authority or is your logic, your intellect, or what somebody else says, the authority? Man says, religion is the way. Get yourself in a good religion. Do the best you can and be as sincere as you know how to be. That's the way. God's Word says, quoting Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, right at the heart of your faith is this issue. Is God's Word the authority in your life? Now, I want to tell you something. It's not the authority in your life if you're not doing what the Word of God says to do. Here's a man who says, Oh, I believe God, and God's Word is the authority in my life. I don't tithe, well then God's word's not the authority in your life. I don't give, well then God's word's not the authority in your life. I don't witness, then God's word's not the authority in your life. I don't have an open heart to encourage people to come to Jesus, then God's word's not the authority in your life. There's certain habits which I like, which I know are damaging, then God's word's not the authority in your life. Saving faith has the Lord God as its object, and the Word of God as its authority. Now that's very important because you see it's in the Word of God that we are told how to behave and it is our behavior that is the outward expression of our faith. Let me give you an example of this. I could choose many, I suppose, but uh, this one seems to fit so well. I shared it with some of our Sunday school teachers a few weeks back. Now, if you want to read the details sometime later on, you can read about it in John's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. But in those verses, here's what we find. Jesus goes down to a place in Jerusalem called Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda in those days, by the way, was an uh, an architectural and an engineering wonder. And here was this pool, and there was one pool in that area where an angel would come, it would seem, and trouble the water, and the first person into the water would be healed. And so that particular pool had become like a hospital staging area. All around lay all manner of lame and impotent folk. And you can just imagine the squalor and the filth. Here were all these people who were ill. Some of them were with their families and others of them had like this man about whom we're going to speak been lying there for years. And they were all waiting for that one moment because at that one moment the first person in would be healed. Jesus, the giver of life the creator of mankind, who knows how to fix that which is broken, Jesus walks in upon this scene. There in front of him is a man who has been sick for 38 years. Now, 38 years is a long time to be sick. Your Sunday school class quit sending you cards after 38 years because you've embarrassed them. (laughs) They said, we're praying for you, you're gonna get well, and you didn't, you let them down. And so they're sort of ignoring you, you know, you didn't come through, get healed and they're sort of ignoring you because they want somebody out there that's a testimony of how good they are. And here you are. You can't help yourself. Uh, Nobody else can help you. Nobody else wants to help you. I mean, this is a prime candidate for the love of Jesus. Now, let me ask you some questions about this man. Do you think that this man had ever tried to walk? Well, sure, that's how he found out he couldn't walk. I mean, the obvious is obvious. Probably when he was a boy, his his parents exercised his legs and said, you're going to walk one of these days, but he didn't. Let me ask you another question. Do you think this man wanted to walk? Well, of course he wanted to walk. Why would you position yourself down there in the midst of all that squalor, waiting for one event, having only a slim chance of being, of course he wanted to walk. Do you think that he couldn't walk? Well, of course, now there are people who read this and say, well, this is a psychosomatic illness. That's ridiculous, let me just tell you something. If you haven't walked in 38 years, you can't walk. I mean, your, your, your limbs will atrophy. The man couldn't walk. He wanted to walk. He had tried to walk, but he couldn't walk. Now, suppose you went up to him and you said, hey, you want to walk? And he said, yes, sir. Well, then get up and walk. What do you think he'd do? He, that's right, he'd laugh at you. He'd probably take his crutch and just whack you off at about the knees and say, let's see how you like it down here. <laughs> but that is precisely what Jesus, the Son of God said. You want to walk? Yes, sir. Then walk, and there was born in his heart on the basis of the authoritative Word of God, faith. The keen confidence in his life that what he had desired was a reality and all he had to do was claim it. And it was based on the authority of God's Word. And when Jesus said it, that Word became authoritative and he did it. He did it. He stood up and walked. What kind of faith is saving faith? It is faith which has as its object the Lord God only. It is faith which has as its authority. That is, how do I know what to do? Which has as its authority the Word of God. And then one final statement this morning. The kind of faith that is saving faith is not bound by circumstance. Let me say it again. The kind of faith that is saving faith is not bound by circumstance. Have you ever thought about how we must look to God when we plan things? We get our human intellect all wound up here and the gears are turning and we finally come up with what we call a foolproof plan. I mean, this is it. I mean, this is so good we'll have a revival even if God doesn't want us to have a revival. This is great. I mean, it's going to work, this is so great, it's gonna, there's no way that this can't work. And you do that in your home, you do that in your life, we do it in churches. You know, this is tremendous, this is a great plan. Now the reverse of that is also true about us. We look around at the circumstances and they look a little bleak and they look a little dismal and say, we say, well, it can't be done. For instance, our church can't move out there. We can't move into that great new facility which is gonna to say to the world, we love you, Jesus is the answer. We want you to come and, and we want you in the name of Jesus to find all the love and mercy and forgiveness and cleansing and healing all that God has for you. We look at that and we say, we can't do that this year. Why? Well, because the economy is flat in Oklahoma. You know, as if God was saying, my goodness, I've never ever existed when the economy was flat before. Boy, what am I gonna do about this? You see, we begin looking at our circumstances. Now, Abraham and Sarah had an opportunity to do that. Look at verse 19. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. He could have. He could have said, Lord, are you kidding? I'm 100 years old. No way I'm going to be a daddy. And when he was about 100 years old, he didn't consider himself dead, his body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't say, Lord, my wife is 90. I mean, the warranty has run out. (laughs) There is no way that we're going to have a baby. Don't you understand, Lord? You probably think that we're young, but we're old. I'm almost 100. She is over 90. This can't work. But because Abraham had his focus of attention on God, the object of his faith, And because Abraham had settled it that God's Word was the authority for his faith, Abraham just reached right through all the circumstances and laid hold on what God had for him. And the kind of faith that is saving faith is not bound by circumstances. Some of you are so beat down, whipped, looking like a dog, looking like you could eat oatmeal through a drain pipe, looking like you had an inoculation with lemon juice before you got here this morning. My circumstances... I'm so sad, it can't be done. I can't live in the victory that God has for me. Oh, it's so bad, it's so terrible. I want to tell you something, the kind of faith, that's saving faith, will stretch right through all your circumstances and let you put your hands upon what God has said is available for you. That's the kind of faith that is saving faith. We're so subjective, you know, we look at circumstances circumstances would have told Noah, there's not going to be a flood. You're making an idiot out of yourself building a boat. They'd never seen a flood. They'd never seen a rainstorm. it had never rained. The firmament would just come down to the earth, move up in the daytime and that would protect the people, you know, and, and the water the earth, but not by rain. And so circumstances would have said, Noah, you're an idiot for building an ark. Circumstances said there's no way that Red Sea is going to split right down the middle from one side to the other so that you can walk across on dry land. Circumstances would have said there's not any way you're going to walk up to a rock and get water out of it. Circumstances would have said there is no way that for 40 years God's going to let you wake up every morning with breakfast, lunch, and supper on the table. Circumstances would have said there is no way that the Jordan River is going to split apart so that you can walk over into Canaan. Circumstances would have said there is no way that Jericho, the mightiest wall city of its day, walls 30 feet thick, are going to fall down. Circumstances would have said that. Circumstances would have said to the prophet of God, there is no way that you can go into the room with that little dead boy and see him raised to life. Circumstances would have said that. Circumstances would have said to that widow who is broke and running out of food, there is no way you can just keep tilting that pot and oil to come out of it and come out of it and come out of it till the famine is over. Circumstances would have said that. Circumstances would have said to the disciples, there is no way the man with the withered arm is going to be healed. There is no way the blind is going to see. No way the deaf is going to hear. No way you're going to feed five to 13,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Circumstances would have said that circumstances would have said there is absolutely no way you're going to get a bunch of ragtag gypsies up in a room and God so come down on them that when they come busting out of that upper room on the day of Pentecost, they literally turn the world upside down because of their trust in Jesus. Circumstances would have said that. And circumstances are saying to some of you, you can't be saved. You don't know my circumstances, preacher. You don't know what's happened in my life. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know all the trouble I've got. I want to tell you something. The kind of faith that saving faith does exactly what that man did who was palsied. He couldn't get to the Bible says in the King James Version he couldn't get to Jesus because of the press. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> the press has kept a lot of people from Jesus. But he couldn't keep get to Jesus because of the crowd that was around him. But he stretched through the crowd and said, I tell you what, if you just get me on a roof, bust a hole in it, I'll get to Jesus. Are the kind of faith that stretches through like that lady with the issue of blood, who had profited nothing but been made worse. When she came and saw that huge crowd around Jesus said, "'All right, it's gonna be hard to get up there "'and talk to him, but I'm gonna break through somehow. "'I'm gonna get a hold of the hem of his garment.'" She had faith. In fact, Jesus straightened her out. He said, "'Don't go back, daughter, "'and say that it was touching my garment "'that made you whole. "'Daughter, your faith hath made you whole.'" It's your faith, breaking through the circumstances. Some of you this morning say, the Preacher, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know everything that's happening to me. I want to tell you something. The kind of faith that is saving faith will come to Jesus anyway. Saving faith says God's the authority. His word is true. And he says whosoever will may come. And if he says whosoever, that means everybody. And if that means everybody, that means me. That means I can come to Jesus this morning and be saved. I can find the answer to my need this morning. Circumstances would have said that a little Vietnamese helicopter, gunship, pilot, could have never been saved. Over there in Vietnam, seeing all kinds of people killed, the country ready to collapse, getting his family together before Saigon fell and sending his wife and her brother and their little daughter on board a ship to who knows where, getting in that helicopter on the day that Saigon fell and finding it crowded with people flying out across the Gulf, watching the fuel warning light come on. And here he is, a man, a Shintoist, who's never had a thought like this in his life, who's only thought about his ancestors, never thought about God. Here is a man sitting there at the control of a helicopter saying, Dear God, help. Turning that helicopter around and seeing a commercial boat and not being allowed to land, dumping the people out and then ditching his helicopter, knowing he was gonna die. Surfacing there in the ocean, an American sailor swims out to him, grabs him, pulls him up on board the ship, points his finger in his face and says, you're alive because of my God, buddy, don't you forget it. (laughs) Walking off, never saw that man again. Walking across the island of Guam, looking for his family, suddenly he finds them. Brought here to this nation, over in Fort Smith, Arkansas, Fort Chaffee. I mean, how are you going to put this off? These are circumstances which say a man can't get to Jesus. Our family went over there one day and said, we want one of these families to come live in our home. I mean, right there with us, we want them. And within days they were there. Here's a lady who'd never, cooked on, never been in an indoor kitchen. Her husband, family, in our home. And riding out the gates of Fort Chaffee, with nobody else but the father, able to speak any kind of English. He says, sir, you're a minister. Tell me about your God. Why? I'm alive because of your God. Tell me about him. And it wasn't but hours before he trusted in Jesus, and later his family, now a successful businessman. I mean a true American Horatio Algier success story. And the interesting thing out is that out there, Some of you are saying, listen, you don't know what's happened to me and you don't know what's made me angry and you don't know the awful things I've seen. That's why I can't come to Jesus. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. If a man who had never thought about God would cry out, dear God, help, and God would reach down and help him, don't you think you can call out to God and God would, by his spirit, reach out to you as you reached out to him this morning? and rescue you. That's the kind of faith that's saving faith. Father in heaven, how I pray your Holy Spirit will just simply move in power in this service right now. Lord, so many times we have our faith in such junk, people, programs, plans, performance. Lord, this morning you have arrested our attention and said that it's me and nothing else. It is the Lord God who saves and no one else. Put your trust in me. Father, I pray that there'd be people who would agree so much in their heart that your word is authoritative. That they would this morning stretch through all the circumstances, maybe even the petty little old circumstances of where they're seated in this auditorium and who they're with. And they would reach through, Lord, and say yes to you this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' precious and wonderful and saving name. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. We've come to invitation time. Your personal invitation to say yes to Jesus. What about it? Isn't it time you just reached right through all of your circumstances, all the baggage of your past and present, and said, Jesus, I just stretch out for you. I just come to you, Lord God, to be my Savior. Well, this is your invitation to come and make that decision. From all over this congregation, I want to encourage you right now, if you know what you ought to say to Jesus, just to come on. People are beginning to come, even now, up in the balcony, that's it. Wherever you are on this lower floor, way back there at the back, wherever you are, if you want to say yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus, just stretch right on through. You come this morning, just stand up quickly. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Others, as you come, just come on right now. I'm saying yes to Jesus today. There's not gonna be anything that keeps me from Jesus. I'm tired of letting my circumstances, I'm tired of all my excuses, Because they avail nothing, they're just that, they're just excuses. And this morning, today, I'm coming to say yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus. So if you know what it is that you need to say as an individual or as a family, whatever decision it is that God's put on your heart, would you do this quickly and quietly, even as I'm speaking right now, you just stand up, make your way to the aisle, this is the time to do it, make your way to the nearest aisle, make your way forward, find one of these counselors here and say, look, this is the decision I need to make for Jesus. This is it. This is the time. This is the decision I want to make today for the Lord Jesus. God bless you as you come. Others are coming. Would you just join them right now? Today. Today. I'm saying yes. Yes to Jesus. Today. Now what kind of decisions do people make? What kind of decisions should you make this morning? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, are you certain if you died today that you'd spend your eternity in heaven? Can you say that? I know it. Can you say God just by his spirit bears witness with my spirit? I'm not trusting in anything else but just Jesus. And I have put my trust in him alone to be my savior. Or would you have to say, you know, I've always rested in the fact that other people told me I must be a Christian. I've always rested in the fact that, that I made a decision in a church that was supposed to be telling the truth. I've always rested in the fact that I was pretty good, better than a lot of people. And I realize now, I I can't do that any longer. I need to trust in Jesus alone. And I'm gonna come to him this morning. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John said, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Paul said, all of us have sinned. We have come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. Would you come and receive that gift? Just stretch right on through your circumstances, where you're seated, who you're with, what the occasion is, stretch right on through. Husband, wife, mom, dad, young person, church member, faithful servant, reprobate, just stretch right on through. Jesus loves you. You just come on right now. Join others who are coming to say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to trust you today. Your invitation, won't you come? Even as I'm speaking, others of you perhaps, know that you've trusted in Jesus. You don't have any question about that. You you know it beyond any shadow of a doubt. You know Jesus is in your heart, but you've never been baptized since the day that you were saved. Maybe you just saved recently, maybe yesterday, maybe in the past few hours, maybe years ago, weeks ago, months ago, long years ago. But since that time, you've never been scripturally baptized. You see, now it's down to whether you believe the Word of God is the authority in your life. Jesus says we ought to be baptized. He gave us the example as well as a commandment. We see it in the early believers in the church, baptized, immersed, as a picture of having died to an old way of life and being raised to walk in newness of life, not a way of getting saved, but a way of showing that you are saved. And if you haven't been scripturally baptized since the day that you were saved, you ought to come this morning. Mom, dad, husband, wife, young person, you ought to come. It could be the very thing that stands between you and real victory in your Christian life. And I encourage you to come, just shed your pride and just come on and say to one of these counselors, look, I'm a Christian, I want to be scripturally baptized. God bless you. Others are coming, you just join them. I'm a Christian, I want to be scripturally baptized. Perhaps you're not a member of this church, but God's telling you, you ought to be. What better time to join than right now? As a family, a couple, young man, young woman, single person, you say, I I need to be in this church family. I really do. Well, this is your invitation to make that decision. Nothing ought to keep you back. I mean, the issue is whether God's just spoken to your heart this morning and said, this is where you belong. If that's the case, then I wanna encourage you. I wanna urge you to come on. If I could come where you are and get in your shoes and make this decision for you, I would, but I can't. It's your decision. James four seventeen says, if a man knows what is right and does it not, to him it is sin. Already people have come and are coming. Would you just join them right now? Today, I wanna say, we wanna say yes. We wanna plant our lives here. We wanna serve Jesus. From this place, we want to reach around the world as a testimony of the love of God. Perhaps there's some other decision you ought to make. The prayer altar is open. Counselors are here. You ought to just come and share what's on your heart. This is your invitation. The choir is going to sing our hymn of invitation. We're going to stand. Would you pray, Lord, your will be done in my life and then in the lives of others. And as a very part of the act of standing, would you just step to the aisle, make your way forward, and join others who are coming just now. Let's stand together. The choir is singing. You just come on right now. That's it. Just step to the aisle, I'm saying yes.